Hello, and welcome to the Unwind Podcast. I am your host for the day, Will Rayner, here with Clacia Tweed. <laughs> oh, God, that's not even the hard one. And Malika Datatarea. <laughs> Datatarea, close uh, enough. I was close. close. <laughs> and today we are talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is the newest entry into the Marvel canon, um, in Spider-Man Far From Home, we see Peter Parker after the events of Endgame and the return from the snap where he is back in his high school and he is just ready for a summer break where he can stop being Spider-Man, stop worrying about trying to save the world and kind of escape from what he went through with um, Iron Man in the year before. So he heads to Europe, but unfortunately he cannot escape the classic uh, troubles that the Marvel cinematic characters run into wherever they go. Um, there he encounters Mysterio, who is a villain who actually comes off as a hero at first, trying to save the world from these elementals who are really projections from his own drone army. Uh, in the end, Peter faces off against the drones and Mysterio and saves the day while in London at the Tower Bridge. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if we want to get started talking about... I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do it. So let's talk about opening of the movie and coming back from the blip. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I know, I think we all kind of wanted to touch on the tone of the movie a lot. So there was, this was an interesting way to start the movie, especially given this was a direct follow-up to Endgame, which was... You know, if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this episode, first of all? <laughs> uh, but, like, the emotional weight of that and the concept of half the half the world, like, not just people, but half the entire, every living creature uh, being wiped out. And then I think the weight of them returning was almost just as significant as the loss because a lot in that five-year time, it's like people have either moved on or some people haven't moved on. And it's like, how do we reconcile this big change and what they kind of called the blip, I think, in the movie. So I thought it was really, really interesting and really great on Marvel's part to start the movie talking about the effect that the blip had on everyday people and, and Aunt May. So Peter's aunt, like kind of leading the charge of, of fundraising and nonprofit to help all these people cope with what they've been through. So I thought that was an interesting way to start the movie. It had some comedic effects, but it was actually a little bit of an emotionally wrought opening to what is kind of a goofy movie. <laughs> and I have to love any movie that starts off with Whitney Houston right off the bat. And it was like a nod to our fallen favorite oh. characters in Endgame. I, I just love that beginning. And it was just right amount of corny, I thought, <laughs> to just like get a kickstarted, set the mood for what is a light, more, much more lighthearted movie than Endgame was, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of, you have to reset. It was our palate cleanser movie. Yes, exactly. It was so perfect how they did the slideshow montage of the <laughs> characters that was totally like a half-ass high school absolutely project. like and then the actual watermark on the photos was just yeah. wonderful. Yes, that was clearly. <laughs> the one of Vision was all JPEGed out, and yes. you could tell it was <laughs> sized down. Oh, the Getty so images funny. across oh, their faces. So yeah, good. it was. Yeah. It was just. It was. It was a really good way to start. I yeah, think. and I thought it was really creative how. They just came right off the bat because it was the biggest question that I feel like most fans had coming into this movie, how Peter was gone for five years yeah. and then met up with his classmates. And they just came right out and had uh, the school announcements 
basically explain it all right off the bat. So quick and easy um, and got it out of the way. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I remember. I think they said it was eight months since the end of Endgame, but I, it, was, it was like not a short period of time, not a really long period of time, it seemed like, from the, the end of Endgame to the beginning of this right. movie. People so. were still dealing with the, yeah. the okay. aftermath. That's yeah. what I thought. So we've talked about it just a little bit already, but um, this movie is a lot different from each of the Marvel movies that came before it, which I think has played well for every Marvel movie towards the end of phase four is felt or phase. Yeah. Yeah. Phase four. I guess this is guys. What phase are we in? <laughs> is this phase three or phase four? I think it's phase four. Either way, at the very end, the most Malika recent so batch confused. of movies. I don't even know what these phases are. We might, this might be another episode in itself. <laughs> this is phase three. Phase. This is the end of phase three. I think you're right. I think it is the end of phase three, and that was like yeah. the 10-year plan. Right. Okay. It is the end of phase three, because each of the Avenger movies marked a phase, so it was like Avengers, Age of Ultron was phase two. This totally. is the end of phase okay. three. Anyway, so each movie at the end of, towards the end of phase three has had a really different feel. Like, Thor was a total comedy. Yep. Um, <laughs> Infinity War and Endgame were surprisingly, like, heavy and serious. And this was, without a doubt, a rom-com for a yeah. significant portion of the movie, especially the first half. Oh, yeah. Um, I wasn't crazy about it. I Maybe because it just took you me by surprise. You didn't know what to expect. Yeah, like, it wasn't... It That wasn't clear from the trailers. Um, I'm actually struggling to remember like the tone of the trailers that much, but I feel like, yeah, that rom-com element wasn't front and center. So coming into the movie and that being like the first 45 minutes to your point, you're just like, wait, what, what's happening here? Well, there were just too (laughs) many couples. I think they should have pared it down, right? Like let's review. We've got Peter and MJ, we've got Aunt May and Happy. Yep. We've got um, Ned and oh, what was her? Beck? Yeah. I don't remember her name. Apparently she was also in the first Spider-Man, um, movie with Tom Hall. I don't remember her, but she was in there too. And like Ned connected with her. Um, were there more? I think those are the the main three, but I just yeah. felt like there was the whole weird love triangle with Brad yeah. and Betty. It's Betty. Oh, I just okay. looked it up. It's Betty, but <laughs> Brad and Betty or Brad and MJ was very weird. It was out of nowhere. It seemed like Brad should have just been, a joke from the entry video exactly. about yeah. the blip. Which exactly. was a great joke. Which and was then they, great. Yeah. they took it too far. Yeah. I, I was not, first of all, what public school allows a 21 year old man to still, yeah. it does not happen. Like there's no, like it's oh, weird. I, I read that differently. I thought he was a middle schooler that caught up to them. I think, you, I think Oh, was it? Was, it yeah. seemed like he was older than them though. But then, wouldn't he have graduated? Yeah, I think he oh, was he, a middle schooler. I think he was, was, a, he was okay. younger, so, yeah. and he was a nobody, and then he became this like hot But Asian that's what dude. seems strange, because unless... <laughs> I, I think that. he was always Asian. <laughs> I mean, Fair enough. So where did he come from? They did talk about how he had an older brother who was in their grade. Okay. And so the brother got snapped, and then came back and was younger then, than his then, younger brother. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. That is so confusing. Uh, yeah, did not really get that confusing. at all, but yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the rom-com aspect was, uh, very heavy throughout the entire movie, most notably through MJ. Um, and MJ in this movie was not the MJ I feel like we had seen before in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, in Homecoming, she was kind of a loner, kind of rude to be honest but very standoffish very harsh and her own kind of 
lone wolf, I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just this, just the simple fact that she was even hanging out with Brad just felt weird because she barely even hung out with Peter and she likes Peter. Like, we know she likes Peter. So, like, why is she friends with this Brad guy? And it was just, yeah. I don't, it seemed like they were setting her up to be the object of a love triangle more so than actually just letting her be her own self. And she did get, like, one or two pretty good zingers in there. Um, and Zendaya kills it. Yeah. I think she's a great uh, yeah. addition. To she the brings so much to the role of it. Yeah, she really there, does. She's so great. There was like a weird switch halfway through the movie where even you saw scenes where we saw MJ from Homecoming, where you know they go to the opera and he's like, "You look beautiful," and she says, "Therefore, I have value." No, I'm just kidding. Which is that is the MJ that yeah, I remember from the first MJ. one. But then after. They have, you know, after the events fighting the fire elemental and then they walk, she comes off so like shy and bashful and And unsure of herself, which is like MJ is not unsure of herself. I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't actually hate that because like it's so hard to be vulnerable and tell someone you like them. And even the most confident people can get all knotted up inside themselves when they have to open themselves up to someone and not knowing what that other yeah. person's going to say. So that didn't bother me. It was more the, the love triangle. The, her relationship with Brad didn't yeah. make any sense. I think that's fair. And I think if the movie had spent more time with Peter and MJ, like actually spending t- time together instead of him trying to constantly get to her and her being preoccupied with Brad, that wouldn't have felt as jarring. But it just feels like we didn't see much of MJ and Peter throughout the beginning part of the movie. Um, and then all of a sudden they're kind of like, you know, tied at the hip. So I don't know. That part was kind of weird. Honestly though, because she's such a lone wolf, it kind of was odd to me that she was even on this trip. True. Yeah. No. Why, (laughs) why why would she she be going into the science trip to, also, why was there a science club trip to to Venice? That makes zero sense to me, but. Martin Starr's like, you kids deserve some good stuff in your life. And he's sadly crying to himself because of his own terrible post blip life right. <laughs> trip could not have been cheap yeah i mean okay speaking of that let's start talking about some of these side characters martin star as the main teacher and um jb smooth as the other teacher on the trip because we are getting a lot of tonal whiplash with probably those two. yeah seriously the biggest question the audience is faced with in this movie is why is JB Smooth in this movie? I don't think he was. I think he was <laughs> super imposing. Like editing, like you saw with Mysterio guys, the illusions are getting pretty, pretty good. JB Smooth could have been on a back lot in Atlanta just recording lines to himself and then just, he was super, imp- I, I don't know. I mean, he was <laughs> clearly brought in to be the comedic relief, but it was already a lighthearted film. Yeah, I was going to say, who needs a comedic funny. relief in a yeah, rom-com? Like, it's already a rom-com, com being the second part of exactly. that. You don't need someone yelling witches running yeah. through the movie. It's <laughs> not necessary. I love J.B. Smoove. I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> he's so funny in that. But he's not funny when he just says, them be witches. It's like, uh, He's like, I'm a man of science, but that's yeah. witches. Like, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, I honestly believe your theory. He was super close. <laughs> I don't think any of the students interacted with him a single time. Did he, he would just like he didn't say touch something anyone. and then they'd look. He could have very easily just been boop. And you got some avid is a very powerful tool. I'm just saying. <laughs> Seriously. Just saying. Seriously. The next conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah. I mean, okay. So outside of J.B. Smooth, though, I thought Martin Starr was actually pretty good in, in his capacity because I really liked his kind of quiet... Um, 
depression of yeah. his wife having pretended to be blipped. I love that like subtle storyline. Yeah. It's so good. I think maybe it's just a like, personal preference, but I, yeah, like the larger kind of bombastic jokes of JB smooth just didn't fly with the rest of the movie. Whereas Martin stars kind of like right. one offs that were just like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> and were, these, yeah. I mean, both teachers were completely incapable of leading this yeah. trip. True. And the fact that Martin stars character was so easily duped by the L- good guys and the bad guys, literally was just taking just these like- children to any parts of your, okay. First of all, there's no way that you have underage children on a trip and you have unplanned itinerary changes and the parents are not having to eat like, somehow sign off on that definitively like right. no one's gonna be like so now we're just I, going to the czech republic that's not a thing no, no, not he, sense. i understand there's a lot of things unbelievable about the mcu but the <laughs> the fact that this school trip can go to four different unplanned destinations and change so quickly also, might be the worst also they were literally in danger everywhere they went <laughs> right right i mean you can suspend disbelief to a certain extent. You have to when you watch these movies. But when you're trying to root something in reality, like a school trip to Europe, you have to keep some of that intact. True. You can't just be like, everything, there's no rules. Yeah. As someone who did go on a school trip to Italy, though, that scene where they uh, take the boat ride up to their hotel was very realistic. Same thing happened to me. So just saying. The so most realistic check, part. That part was real. The shitty, the shitty Venetian hostel. So let's get into it and start talking about Mysterio, a.k.a. Quentin Beck, a.k.a. the wonderful Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. <laughs> so Mysterio in this movie is... That's the official way to pronounce it, folks? Just so Look you know. it up. We're introduced to Mysterio when he comes and saves the day from the first water elemental with, while they are in Venice. Um, he pretty immediately uh, makes himself pretty well known to Nick Fury and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and starts cooperating with them right away, which to me was kind of a red flag and a question because it was like, one, how does he know who S.H.I.E.L.D. is? How does he know how to find them? And why are they so trusting of him right away? Agreed. Well, we actually meet him first in Mexico City. Oh, you're right. Yeah. But you're that right. was, okay, they did say, though, that was only a week before. So it wasn't even that long of a time period. It was literally one week before Venice that they picked up on the Mexico City, um, like, uh, uh, like readings, and then went there and met him. So he, they, they didn't know this guy. They didn't know who he was. They trusted him too quickly, sure. But also, we find this out much, much yeah, later, we'll but it's not that. actually <laughs> Nick Fury. So spoiler alert there for this a later whole thing part is of this podcast. Spoiler bound, FYI. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we're through. spoiling our own podcast, but yeah, that too. Um, but also, I, don't, I thought that he would know about S.H.I.E.L.D. because he was working so closely with Iron Man. He's got to have been in his inner circle. That's or true. Like, you know, there's no way anyone who worked with Iron Man didn't know what was going on. Yeah, that's right. fair. So Quentin Beck, the um, dejected former Stark Industries employee, he invents BARF, which is the holographic system that Tony Stark used earlier I think it was in Civil, Civil War, War yeah. right? To demonstrate how his parents were killed in a car crash and showed young version of himself. Um, and that was actually a Quentin Beck, AKA Mysterio invention. So after being, um, I guess stripped of the credit for yeah. inventing that holographic technology, he vows to avenge his honor and, you know, take revenge against Iron Man and show that he is, one, as smart and capable as anyone else in that company, and two, show that these superheroes aren't really anything special. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's also like a, a runner throughout is the Iron Man presence. And it, like, this truly is like, I get there's a lot of criticism that the MCU Spider-Man is basically just like a variant of just Iron Man and like his, his extension of his story. Um, and weirdly, I felt like they were trying to distance Spider-Man from Iron Man, but also he was everywhere. So like, we'll talk about that throughout, but like, this whole movie, everything was brought together because of Iron Man. Like the villain's motivation was due to Tony Stark. Um, there was the, imagery yeah, of yeah, Iron Man Peter's everywhere. Exactly. Like he was literally on murals and just like kind of basically like, you know, like saint, a saint to the world because of his sacrifice in Endgame, which totally makes sense. But even like Peter's motivation for what he's doing, he's trying to escape because of Iron Man, because of the emotional connection that he had and how he's still mourning. So everything is put into place and it because of Iron Man. So I thought it was an interesting choice that they are overtly saying that we are trying to make Spider-Man his, like that's a whole running right. thing well, throughout the movie, but it, it was seems... a little too much. Actually. I thought there was a little too much Iron yeah. Man because there are other superheroes died in Endgame. It wasn't just Iron Man, but he's the one that's most closely connected yeah. to Superman. Well, he didn't so make like, the, get it, the but at the same time, iconic sacrifice though. But like, you could say Vision made a sacrifice. You could say, you know, true. people don't know what happened to Captain America. I think that's part of the reason as well, because even before all that stuff, none of the other Avengers were as well known as Iron Man. Like even Captain America, like the everyday person. And you can see that in the previous movies. He, he wasn't exposed on the same level that mm -hmm. Tony Stark just by proxy of a being already is. a pop culture icon sure. before he became. So he, regardless of the whether or not he. The billionaire playboy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, he was famous before he became exactly. Iron Man. So regardless yeah. of whether or not he wanted it, he was the face of the Avengers. So his sacrifice just probably gets felt because he had an actual presence that's now gone. Whereas most people just didn't right. see Thor or see Captain America. So yeah, like Black Widow, she was the first one to sacrifice herself. Exactly. And yet you're right though, because she wasn't as prominent of a cultural figure as yeah. Iron Man, as Tony Stark was. She wasn't even mentioned. Which I think gets reflected in not just the movies, but in real life. When everyone talks about the movie Endgame, talk about Iron Man and the sacrifice, but there are a lot of other powerful moments in that movie, like when you know Hawkeye and Black Widow were fighting over who gets to kill themselves yeah. and sacrifice themselves for so yeah soul stone. who gets to be the martyr and so something that I thought was interesting and let me know if you agree with this but I felt like they were definitely for the first half of the movie when we first meet Quentin Beck all the way through until Peter hands over the Edith glasses which they were Peter why yeah. well, so let's but, just do a quick recap of what the Edith glasses are so yeah. the Edith glasses are um, Tony Stark's AI system that are held within these glasses. They control all of his technology and the Stark Stark Satellite, industry yeah. initiatives. Like, yeah. Crazy powerful to give right. to a 16-year-old child. And a. the classic Iron Man styling <laughs> yeah. of glasses, so which I appreciated. <laughs> I really felt like they were drawing a parallel in the first half of the movie between Mysterio and Iron Man. I think their suits were very similar oh, in yeah. the way... They like came on using microbots and the metal suits. And then when he did hand over the glasses to uh, Quentin Beck and he puts them on, it very much looked like, like Iron Man. He had his looked facial like hair. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then he even like his. That was definitely on purpose. His demeanor yeah. when he was talking to his henchmen, like he was very Tony Stark esque. Like you can see that level of ego was pretty much the same like right. wanting things his way i mean obviously we all agree that tony stark was not evil um but you can 
see how certain characteristics of his from the outside looking in can, you know, really kind of rub people the wrong way. And Quentin Beck was the exact same. So it's not surprising that they probably clash. And then he was pissed off about not getting credit for creating barf. Um, uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you. The parallels were there. It's like, we get a lot of conversation about how Peter is like, Iron Man and like Tony, but really it was Quentin Beck was more like the worst. Side. It was almost like they were the, the dual sides of Tony. Like, mm-hmm. like Peter represented more of the optimism and the wanting to help people. And the, just like, you know, just that kind of consistent need to do something for the world. Whereas Quentin Beck was a lot of the bravissimo, the ego and the narcissism. The narcissism. And I thought that was something that was subtext. It was not text at all, but they were almost like two sides of the same personality. And, and because Iron Man is kind of seen throughout, totally. you can kind of see like, these are two divergent paths that any, right. any, any particular Tony Stark like person could go down. So I thought that was interesting. Well, it was also interesting that the note that Tony left for Peter said, for the next Iron Man. Right. Yeah, that was right. weird. Like, he's Spider-Man. <laughs> that is why weird. would you want Peter to be you? Every every interaction between Peter and Tony, it was more so of a, actually a father-son kind of, you know, mentor-mentee. It definitely was never, I am grooming you to be Iron Man. It totally. was like, I see something in you that I... I, I, I saw in myself and I didn't have a father figure growing up. So I think he was trying to use that as a means to make up for the, the support and that fatherly love that he felt he didn't have. Um, and then obviously when Tony eventually did have his own child, he was able to, to kind of uh, experience that, you know, firsthand. But I definitely saw it was more of like of that type of bonding versus like, I'm kind of, you know, training you to take over. Like I never, especially a lot of, um, in Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming, Tony says, you know, I don't want you to be me. He says those type of things exactly. directly. And he talks about, you know, becoming a hero. You know, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve to wear it. That type of mantra definitely does not seem like he would leave behind a note right. that says to the next Iron Man. But, right. you know, that's a little bit of that Tony Stark ego that's and part of what bleeding makes- through. Iron Man, Iron Man is that he's this tortured figure, right? Like he feels like he has this responsibility totally. and, and that's part of the narcissism, right? Like only he can do it. So that's I, a good point. You know, it just didn't feel, it just felt off and it felt like it was a plot. It was added to the plot just to add confusion, to confuse Peter on whether like he deserved the glass or it should go to Mysterio. So it just didn't jive. Yeah, totally agree. Another uh, key Tony Stark through line in this movie was the technology. Not only do we see the Edith glasses that get passed between Spider-Man and Mysterio, but the the drones that come from the satellite yeah. controlled by Edith um, with the barf system, they are a key part to the plot of this movie. They completely make up the villain in Mysterio. Yeah, really, technology almost kind of becomes the villain, weirdly. I mean, obviously, it's powered by Mysterio and his henchmen, but, like, there was no super-powered threat. It was it was honestly the technology in the wrong hands, if you right. think right. about it. The technology Iron Man created, or, exactly. sorry, Tony Stark created. Exactly, which has happened several times with Ultron and right. other things. <laughs> right. I mean, it's sort of like the Terminator thing. It's the technology yeah, yeah. we create, it, exactly. create comes back to, exactly. to kill us. And we here are all big fans of the binge mode podcast. So if you're looking for a podcast about game of Thrones or Harry Potter to listen to, we suggest (laughs) binge mode. But anyway, that's something they talk about all the time in that podcast is, um, what you create coming back to haunt you. Um, you see it in game of Thrones with the mountain who eventually ends up killing Kyburn. 
Skyburn. Uh, Skyburn. <laughs> also, and like probably to me the the most satisfying, just like it was not a dramatic death. Like you didn't really see it coming. It just it just kind of shows you like how quickly like oh things can turn around on you, which I thought was interesting. But it's the same. It's the same themes here with the um, the Iron Man, the Stark Industries technology coming back and being the villain in the movie. For me personally, um, I really loved the return to at least some sort of plausible technological advancements in the movie. You know, in phase three, we got a lot of the microbots for Iron Man's suit, um, the vibranium and Black Panther, which were both of those were um, technologies that were so far advanced that there was almost no rules or limits yeah, to them. There was no it was not grounded in any sort of technology that we have today. It was very clear, like here's a, here's a plot device that we can make do what we want. And I, I do think they did operate within some constraints, but it for sure was far removed from the more realistic uh, elements of far from home where we're actually using drones, which are real things and projections, which we do have to say like, let's just take it one step closer. Right. It's yeah. more for the coolness factor than reality at exactly. all. Exactly. And I, I definitely feel like that was an effort they made consciously, especially because, you know, Peter had his iron spider suit that he has worn in both the last infinity wars. He put on towards the end of uh, Spider-Man homecoming yet in this one, he returns to kind of the more grounded, uh, Mono Nocturno, Mono the, Nocturno. The night, night Monkey. monkey. Uh, oh, I loved the Night Monkey. <laughs> I yeah. loved how quickly that went everywhere. Sorry to go off topic, but just loved it. Yeah. But the suit, it was more like grounded. It was kind of fabric. It just had the yep. goggles and the web shooters and even his Spider-Man suit when he put back on with the, the black instead of the yeah. blue accents. And of course... We're not saying that we think the technology in the movie is real, but it at least comes back to what? Okay, you can <laughs> suspend this. You know, drones are a real thing. Maybe these drones could exist. You know, we have holograms. Maybe someone develops a hologram that's real enough. It's not some sort of microbot liquid material that's also metal, but also food, or but also food. <laughs> <laughs> but launched from space. Also, can have do back surgeries but. i mean honestly i don't know how space rockets work so for all i know perfectly realistic okay so speaking of the projections um i wanted to get into the end of mysterio the fight on tower bridge um, mysterio uses the projections to show um you know to put peter in this mind bend that he had done early in the movie uh, Peter uses his uh, Peter Tingle uh, is able <laughs> it to. It was gone, but it came back. <laughs> it's gone, but it came back. I like that they never used the word Spidey sense. Same. I kind of like that it was trying to be its own thing, and it was just like a really funny, funny running joke. I wonder if that's a copyright issue. Like, why? Yeah. It was just really the weird. Same thing. Peter Tingle. I mean, Peter Tingle was hilarious, but just felt like why? <laughs> right. But he uses Peter Tingle. Dodges the drones and the bullets, makes his way to Mysterio. Mysterio gets hit with the ricochet bullet and then is injured. But then it's the hologram Mysterio that gets hit with the ricochet and the real Mysterio standing next to him, tries to kill him with a gun. Peter essentially takes him down to the ground and then he dies. So my question to you two is, does Mysterio actually get hit with the ricochet bullet was it the hologram that got hit is mysterio actually dead 
I have no idea. All right, <laughs> I'm going to go full conspiracy theorist. I didn't see a body with no pulse. He's alive. I, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's a plot hole, but then in future iterations of the movie, or future Spider-Man movies, they... They could correct realize it. the plot hole and use it to their advantage to correct yeah. it. Right, I, like in Endgame, when you know Peter hugs his best friend, you're like, wait, but who got snapped? Same thing, they were able to correct that, or maybe yeah, they had to leave, yeah, just like leaving yeah. it open for interpretation right. so that they're not pigeonholed with a particular Agreed. decision yeah. later. That makes sense, honestly. I mean, it would have had to be so perfectly choreographed for him to to make all that work, but it's possible. I mean, the whole concept of Mysterio's abilities here. It required a lot of practice. Yeah. You had to Which, be in the right place at the right time. And again, you have to suspend disbelief, but you I don't know. It just is a we, little much. Can we talk about this? Because I honestly really enjoy the fact that... So obviously Mysterio's not a superhero and all of his powers came from tech. But I really enjoy the fact that we saw like a crew of people. It's like shout out for the crew, you know, yeah. like like all the people that actually make things happen behind the scenes. And there's legitimately like 20 people that were responsible. So like I find it easier to believe because it's like if you had 20 really smart people or people that were working together and they were motivated to the same goal, like why couldn't they have pulled this off? Honestly. So what is really interesting about Mysterio is so in this movie, yes, he's a disgraced former Stark Industries employee. But in the comics, Mysterio is an aspiring actor who is very talented with special effects on set. Yeah. So and when he his career as an actor fails, he uses his you know uh, prowess yeah. yeah as a special effects artist to create this persona of Mysterio and trick people similar to to how he does in this movie into thinking he is a hero and stopping um, these big you know. Uh, extraterrestrial exactly, threats yeah. when really they're just his own special effects that he's making. So it's cool that you can kind of see the influence of his original comic book character of someone who works in the film industry. When they show him running the show, it's a lot like a live director, you know, take two, take three, ready one, ready the exactly. drones. And um, you really see how it translates from, they use the inspiration of that, Hollywood character to turn into this Quentin Beck Mysterio we see in Far From Home. And talking about parallels between Mysterio and Iron Man, it's interesting because all of these, all the henchmen behind Mysterio, the, the group of 20 smart people that you mentioned, you know, the reason they're so angry with Iron Man is because they weren't recognized for what they were doing. And yet when Quentin Beck is, is back in charge, he's also threatening them. He's like, you know, he, he becomes that narcissistic exactly. character that he was fighting against. Um, so it was interesting to that parallel. It says a lot and it's pretty interesting. It kind of brings up your perception versus who you really are because us as Marvel fans, we see it from the perspective of Iron Man. He's the hero. He's, you know, the main character mm -hmm. of the entire story. But then other people in the world who don't, have that same perspective and see him in a different light, see him as an asshole dick who steals their life's work. So kind of interesting there about perspective. Yeah. And then, so this is a bit of a side note, but there was the concept of a, um, a, a Marvel show that I think was on ABC a couple of years ago where it's literally a group of, I want to say insurance adjusters or like people that deal with like the fallout of all of the Avengers, like mm -hmm. fights, 
And there was like a running gag of, um, I think it starred Vanessa Hudgens, if I remember correctly. Um, but oh, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with Marvel. No, it was just about superheroes. Yeah, she worked um, at a company where they created the weapons and all of the 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 suits and all the technology that the superheroes use. Wait, I think I'm thinking about a different show because I think the one with Vanessa Hudgens wasn't Marvel related though. Then maybe it wasn't Vanessa Hudgens, but there was a show that I think it only lasted like half a season, like it actually got yanked, but. The whole thing was dealing with uh, the everyday people that have to deal with the aftermath of what the superheroes get up to. And it was based in New York, so there's a lot of mentions of Tony Stark because Stark Tower um, was originally built there from the first Avengers. So I, I, I thought it was interesting getting the everyday person's perspective of living in the superhero's world because that's kind of a running thread throughout the MTU is like, you guys make all these decisions and yes, you are trying to save the world, but in saving the world, you also cause a lot of problems. And it's definitely a through line of the um, Spider-Man, the two Spider-Man movies so far, because in Homecoming, you know, the vulture, uh, Michael Keaton's character is all about cleaning up after the New York attack. Exactly. you know, that's where he finds the alien technology that he uses to create his own weapons. Yeah. And then, all right, so speaking of that fallout in the New York, so, you know, the movie ends, and obviously Peter does save the day, but there are still those questions about Quentin Beck, but we do end up back in New York for the final few minutes, and I know, Will, that you were, you kind of mentioned this of returning to New York for the end kind of made you realize how weird it was seeing Spider-Man um, throughout his own film not be in New York and how yeah, like Spider-Man Euro trip. Yeah. How yeah. jarring that. Cause so we've had what, like four versions of Spider-Man. If you include, uh, into the Spider-Verse where he's always in New York, it is always a New York based story. It's part of who he is. And it's part of his identity. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So seeing him spend the majority well, of that time outside of New York was kind of interesting. And it also made me realize that in homecoming, he's not really in the city either. Like he's not in downtown, Manhattan swinging around skyscrapers like he is at the end of this, the very few last few minutes of this movie or how he is in other classic Spider-Man movies. Like he's mostly in school, honestly in homecoming and he's in the suburbs and then he's on a ferry and then he's in Queens, like not really in downtown Manhattan. And so at the end of this movie, when he finally gets there and he's swinging around with MJ, I'll, like got goosebumps. I was like, this is what, you know, this is Spider-Man finally like swinging, doing these crazy poses and flips as he's also running taking a selfie. City. And MJ's like, get off your phone. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I miss that. I miss seeing Spider-Man in downtown New York. And that brings us to the big after credit scene reveal that occurs. So after credits, J. Jonah Janus, Jameson played once again by J.K. Simmons. Who I, I think love, I audibly love, love, clapped. Love. Yeah. 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 He's a great actor. Perfect, perfect casting, but um, reveals that the Daily Bugle has um, acquired a video from Mysterio at his death where he says, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then it shows Peter Parker saying, execute yeah, basically doctoring footage to make it look like Peter uh, murdered Mysterio and was also responsible for the destruction that was was re- was wrecked reeked. I don't I don't know the word that was uh, that was like reaped. reaped? I don't think that's the right word. Um, but yeah, the destruction throughout Europe um, that was really all Mysterio and his crew. So um, kind of leaves things on a sour note of wait what? Well, first of all, 
Spider-Man hasn't been very careful with his identity, <laughs> especially when you consider that his own aunt was running the show for all of his charity events, <sighs> but people didn't know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, yet Aunt May was... Uh, it's a, a little fishy. But yet, when he was in Europe, he's like, I can't... Spider-Man can't show up here. My class will figure it out. But yeah, <laughs> the, you know... Hundreds of people giving to this charity did not put those two together. Right. And MJ figures out by herself that he's Spider-Man. It's going to be only a matter of time before more and more people are able to put two and two together and say, oh, yeah, Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I mean, we got Night Monkey out of it, uh, yeah. so I'm happy <laughs> with the no fact thorn, that no. Peter Parker was nervous about his class finding out who he was. But yet, you're right, there was <laughs> but I think an inconsistency there. Yeah, This ending was also kind of another parallel to Iron Man in a sense where at the end of Iron Man, yep. we get left off with him standing at a presser talking about what happened at Stark Industries and he just says, you know what? I am Iron Man. And then it cuts to credits, which is essentially mm. what they did again here. They say, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, cut to credits. That's a good point. And then the obviously the difference here is that Peter did not volunteer this information. It was exposed, whereas Tony in the end of Iron Man 1 was just realizing like, wait, I have the power to kind of own this identity. So that kind of duality of Peter not having that or not feeling that, that he can expose himself in this way. Cause let's not forget, he is a 16 year old child, um, probably cannot bear the weight of what this means. Um, as well as a grown man in that Tony Stark was when he was able to kind of right. have his coming out. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. But also Iron Man slash Tony Stark had, all these resources to protect himself. Yep. Peter Parker does not. Personally, this was my favorite um, post-credit scene in the entire MCU so far. It's the most excited I've been to, you know, look at and say, "Oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going to happen next." Yeah, I was like actually like slack jawed. Like this was the first time that I watched a post-credit and my mouth was just agape, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Well, because usually <laughs> the post-credit scenes or a tiny little teaser of yes. what's to come. This was a complete game changer. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, and now we have to wait another year, year and a half, God knows how long, and it's going to be painful because we want to know how does this change the way Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is going to be living his life. Well, we are, re we are recording this the day after uh, Marvel announced the plans for Phase 4 with Blade and the Eternals and... Uh, Shang-Chi. The next Captain Marvel next movie. Next Captain Marvel. Yeah. Did they announce a third Spider-Man? They have not. That's interesting. I, so we really have nothing in the next three years yep. laid out that answers this question of Spider-Man. Three years? I can't wait that long. I wonder if they're going to work it into one of the other like MCU. Maybe yeah. like a mention here. Yeah. yeah. So they did mention, so part of in the beginning of the movie when uh, Nick Fury, who's not Nick Fury, which we'll talk about momentarily, uh, wants to recruit Peter to help out with these elementals that Mysterio's fighting. Um, Peter himself brings up, why can't some of the other Avengers take care of this? And he mentions Thor by name. He mentions Captain Marvel by name. Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange. So those are all three characters that are getting their own movie. So I thought that was interesting that those are three the three Avengers who are making the transition from phase three to phase four, who we know are getting solo films. So it makes me wonder if Peter will be mentioned or have some presence in any of one of or multiple of right. those three films, especially considering that uh, Doctor Strange is a New York-based character. We, I mean, we don't know if his 
next movie will be in New York, but he is New York based. Um, Captain Marvel, I think there was clearly kind of a an affection uh, between her and Peter um, that was kind of hinted at in Endgame. So um, I think it was that scene where they're kind of running the gauntlet to Tony mm. and uh, Peter's kind of getting bombarded and Captain Marvel That's right. clears the way for him. I forgot about that. So I do wonder if that means that we're not getting a solo Spidey film, but he will be a presence in one of those films. Um, as well as there's a Fantastic Four movie coming in that in the comic books, there's a lot of interaction between Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. So I do think we'll get the fallout, but I do wonder if the fact that we're not getting a solo Spidey film in the next three years means that maybe they're going to do a time jump and age him up post high school and you learn about the consequence after the fact. So it'd be interesting to see where Marvel goes next. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting uh, announcements that came out of that and kind of put the film into a different perspective. And I think especially the, the second uh, stinger at the end, the post credit scene revealing that the scrolls are a thing still like, wait, who are these scrolls and why are they everywhere? And that um, one of them was actually impersonating Nick Fury. Nick Fury has been off well, the that's world. Not only was <laughs> and Maria Hale, both of them. Right? Yeah. And not only was it one of them, it was uh, the, I don't know his name in Captain Marvel, but Ben Mendelsohn was the yeah. actor who played him. Basically, the main scroll character in Captain Marvel. So clearly, that's nothing insignificant. That he, they're still on Earth. Nick Fury is not on Earth, and he is with the scroll somewhere in outer space. Um, what do you What do you guys think of that? Anything significant to come from that right now? I I didn't really get it. I didn't. It, it just felt felt weird to me. I didn't I didn't understand what was the purpose of it. But, but you're right. It might be revealed in future um, movies. But, Clay, you made a, a good point that I wonder if the new movies uh, for Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel and Black Panther are going to take place at the same time because they were, quote-unquote, busy. That's why they had to come to exactly. Spider-Man. Mm. So I wonder if they're going to be the same exact timeline. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's interesting because maybe we're going to get filled in on what they're dealing with. And then the fact that um, Doctor Strange... His movie specifically mentions the multiverse, which is that concept was introduced in Endgame. And they do talk a little bit about that in uh, Far From Home and that uh, Quentin Beck uses that as a cover for where he came from. Because his whole his whole identity is that he's from an alternate Earth um, within that multiverse. So I do wonder if we'll get the implications of what that multiverse actually means. And then what those other characters of Dr. Strange, Black Panther and Captain Marvel were doing in that same time of why they weren't available. So that's a good point, Malika. Maybe they, they had the scrolls impersonate, um, Nick Fury. Thank you. Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot his name. Um, Nick Fury, just to explain how quickly, they bought Mysterio's story. Yeah, they were duped You're pretty more easily. You're likely to believe that a, a squirrel who has no idea, what, you know, who just filling in while Nick Fury's on vacation would buy that story than Nick Fury himself, who's probably the most suspicious person around. Okay, 100%. now I am more and more leaning to Mysterio. Quentin Beck is still alive because this could be yet another out of why, you know, if Nick Fury and Maria Hill were there they would never let him get away with pretending to be dead when not really. But the scrolls aren't, I mean, they're not Nick Fury. Yeah, so they're, it's not, they're as not actual thorough. government agents. So right. they right. just, yeah. Nick Fury would never let that slide. Whereas, you know, maybe there's an excuse that those imposters weren't as thorough. Okay. Time for quick tastes, quick hits. 
find the subtle notes of the movie. So, first, cheers or jeers for quick topics. First one, Night Monkey. What'd you think? Loved it. Cheers. Not uh, Monkey. Yeah. We Soft also cheers. have not talking, stopped talking about it since we saw the movie, so it's a cheers for me. I mean, honestly, I wanted to name this podcast Night Monkey. That's how much I loved it, so. Okay. I was overruled. Next one. Happy and Aunt May. Cheers? I'm on the borderline. Like, I didn't hate it, but I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> I'm going to say jeers because he was supposed to be kind of this step in father figure role for uh, Tony Stark. Now that he's gone, he's just like banging his aunt. It's like, weird. It's weird. <laughs> and I'm going to be the tiebreaker and also say jeers just because it was just too much with the other storylines, other romantic um, pairings that they had. It just, I did not need a third. Okay. okay next. Ned and Betty. Loved cheers. it. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Agreed. Because <laughs> they just were so nonchalant about it and how they ended on such a mature note it just was perfect it was like a perfect little summer romance yeah and i love the fact that it was just it was because ned messed up the plan on the plane so that peter gets it next to mj so he ended up sitting next to betty and they just like nine hours is a long time you can bond with someone over that so i thought that was just like a really cute moment and then yeah babe (laughs) and finally or not finally we have two more uh we can count i promise (laughs) uh flash thompson and his infatuation with spider-man yet hate of peter parker um i'm gonna say cheers though i do think it could get old because this is obviously the second movie and the second time that flash is just you know constantly being a dick to peter but clearly as a man crush on spider-man but i thought that it it was like subtle enough that it worked i was leaning toward jeers but because of the post set credit scene i'm gonna say cheers because now he has to confront the fact that he loves fireman <gasps> but Peter parker so right. same person and i'm gonna break the rules and say i'm just neutral on it i didn't really what <laughs> i don't know if i had a strong opinion either way you're right it can get old you're also right but well that it could get really interesting um in the future movie so i'm gonna you know hold off and decide later fair enough uh, and finally, the last one is the casting. What do you guys think of the casting of all the characters? I love the diversity. I love that Flash was uh, Indian, I think he was. And, and I'm not even sure what half of their ethnicities are, but I love that they were just, it felt like a class in Queens would have exactly. this variety of races. And it, I just thought it was, it wasn't overdone. Agreed. Cheers. All the casting seemed great. And to your point, the diversity just felt natural. Like it just seemed like, a high school in New York City. Yeah, I'm going to run it out, obviously. Being from New York, this was about as diverse, maybe not even as diverse as uh. some <laughs> actual classes that I've seen. So, And I just thought, I like the fact that it was understated. It wasn't like diversity for diversity's sake. And like, I think the biggest thing was the cast chemistry and that came through. So yeah, just it's just great that it happened to work out the way it did. Okay, final notes. I want to hear each of your rankings out of five for Spider-Man Far From Home. I'll start. I will give this movie two and a half Black Dahlias. <laughs> I liked it. I wasn't crazy about it. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming for me was probably one of my top five Marvel movies. And I thought this was a noticeable step down. Mm. It was fun. It was enjoyable. Good stuff about it. But not kind of towards the top of the MCU for me. Totally fair. Um, I'm, I liked it a little bit more than you, I think, but I'm going to give it three out of five mononocturnals. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the lighter elements. Uh, I think the weightier elements probably were not as flushed out. And I think we talked a lot about that of the 
the tone of whiplash could have been a little bit um, better handled. I actually don't know who directed this. Um, so it'd be interesting to know like what that person's experience was like, either doing comedy, doing action, doing both. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna give it three out of five. And I'll give it also three out of five Peter Tingles. <laughs> <laughs> On the Peter Tingle scale, yeah, this only gave me three out of five. Uh, and for similar reasons, I thought it was, and if I was just talking about entertainment value, I probably would have given it a five out of five. I was engaged the whole time, but when you really stop and you think about it and you, you know, think about all the different elements that went into it, it, it doesn't quite get there. So three out of five. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was a good summer flick, you know? Exactly. Enjoyable, fun we to laughed, watch. We didn't quite cry. <laughs> <laughs> But yep. we laughed. We, yeah. we laughed. We probably laughed at funny moments. moments we weren't supposed to laugh at, honestly. Yeah, JB Smooth. Oh my god. I, I mean, good. Like, your agent, A plus for somehow <laughs> squeezing you into this movie where you didn't belong at all, and then I'm sure you got a big payday for it. For <laughs> so, shout out JB Smooth's agent. <laughs> okay, so um, we can't talk about Spider Man without talking about the Spider-Mans that have come before. So, the Spider-Men, if you will. Uh, don't forget about Spider-Ham. Okay, <laughs> just saying. Spider-People. Um, so, personally, of all the Spider-Men that have come before, Tom Holland is my favorite. I think... A thousand percent agree, yeah. I think the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie was great. I loved it. Um, maybe the best Spider-Man movie. I really liked Homecoming. Um, but I think that Tom Holland feels the most like a teenager in high school in New York City who's struggling with real... Kind of when you get down to the essence of Spider-Man, every day he like wants to be a superhero. He wants to reach up to those heights that other characters within the universe have reached. Um, I feel like you get that the most with you know, Tom Holland is Spider-Man than any of the others. Yeah, I would agree 100%. All right, so how about assessment. this? Let's rank the Spider-Men, specifically the actual like, leading characters in a live action, because otherwise we start going on a slippery slope with Spider-Ham, who's my fave. Um, and then we talk about where we think uh, Far From Home fits into the greater Spider-Man film, film, like, I don't know, like the collection of Spider-Man movies. Um, so well, I'll let you start. So my personal ranking of the Spider-Men are Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, then Tobey Maguire. The Andrew Garfield movies were just really bad. Awful. But, but he wasn't the worst part I of agree. Okay, right? I think that's almost a hot take because I agree with you and that was going to be my ranking yeah. too. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think we need to go through all of us because I think we all agree on that. Because Tobey Maguire, while I like those movies way more than the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, he just felt like aged out of it already yeah, by the first old. movie. It was yeah. like good despite him <laughs> in a way, in yeah. some ways. And I don't think he had that much chemistry with um, oh. he had Kristen... Kristen Dunst. Kristen Dunst. I, I think he had Kirsten? the most chemistry Kirsten? with uh, Kirsten. That's why I, I Kirsten. stopped first. Kirsten. Like, Kirsten. Yeah, Kirsten. that's right. So I don't think they had great chemistry. <laughs> no. Unlike Zendaya and Tom Holland, who have yeah. great chemistry. True. And if you guys haven't seen the lipstick battle with them, highly. Unreal. Also, highly Tom Holland's uh, Rihanna. Mm. He is just. Because <laughs> he's a dancer. He was in Billy Elliot before. You can yep. tell in the way he moves. Like, He's much more of a physical actor than the other two yeah, are. Yeah, I felt the physicality of his being Spider-Man a lot more than the other two. But totally. So I think that ranking is, we're all on the same page with that ranking. But Far From Home as the movie, what do you guys think? I'll let you go first. All right, okay. So cl can we all agree 
that um, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is the second Andrew Garfield, is the bottom one. I literally had to turn it off <laughs> when I, don't I was know. watching it. It's in, a, it's in a battle with Spider-Man 3. I agree. Okay, so if, if we're going to start talking about ranking... Uh, it might be easier for me to start from worst to best because yeah. I might change my mind as I go up. Um, but Amazing Spider-Man 2, awful. Uh, Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, what was going on? Like, it almost ruined several people's careers. Like, where did Topher Grace go after that? <laughs> Seriously. Like, what? Um, then the first Amazing Spider-Man. Um, then I'm actually going to say the original Spider-Man. And then Far From Home is... I want to say just maybe just under original Spider-Man. So far from home, then OG Spider-Man. And I'm kind of like at a, at a crux of if I think Spider-Man two, Tobey Maguire, or if uh, Spider-Man homecoming are my favorite, they kind of flip flop. Um, but I'm going to say Spider-Man two then. Like, so yeah, super confusing, but Tobey Maguire's second movie, Tom Holland's first movie, uh, then uh, Tobey Maguire's second movie, then far from home. And then all the rest of that crap. <laughs> I do not remember the movie as well enough to do this ranking, so I am sitting this one out. Malika, just trust my opinion. That's fine. That Clay is always right. Did you get that on tape? I did not coerce her. Edit that out. Did not coerce her. (laughs) I'm going to go with The Amazing Spider-Man 2 at the bottom, then Spider-Man 3, The Amazing Spider-Man, so we agree there. Okay. Next is probably Far From Home. Interesting. Which... I I didn't hate it. I thought it was. A it good was a two point five. No, it's yeah. like a perfectly acceptable oh, yeah. film. It was a fun movie, but I, nothing crazy about it. Um, Spider Man Two, mm. The Amazing Spider Man, or not The Amazing Spider Man. Sorry, just the original Spider Man yeah. with Tobey Maguire, and then best one, Homecoming. Psych. Not the best one. <laughs> Second best one was Spider Man Homecoming. Best Spider Man movie ever. Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Does that oh. count? It counts. Uh, I think you're right. So I might I need to change my list. Did we start this with saying that we were only talking live action? I believe Clay kicked us off saying only live action I counts. I did say those words. I don't but follow your rules. Now, <laughs> I make I mean, my own I mean, rules. I mean, I, I broke the we rules We widened it to the greater Spider-Man lore than, yeah, I think Enter the Spider-Verse is tops for me, personally. I think that uh, Into the Spider-Verse does the best job. You want to try that one more time? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse does the best job of capturing like the essence of Spider-Man and the high school kid. And then it's also the most unique. It's beautifully animated. It's the tightest story. Great music. Great Uh, music. Phenomenal film, really. And like really, because I think the biggest issue that all these movies face is that Spider-Man is such a well-known character Mm. and everyone wants Spider-Man to be their spider-man like a specific spider-man that follows the rules of the comics while being everything they expect and far from or not far from home i'm sorry into the spider-verse did the best job of holding on to some of that yet making it completely the balancing act was really well done i think and it was a nice nod to the fact that there's been there have been so many exactly that's what bothers me when people have that criticism especially like casual moviegoers or even people that have read the comic books and it's like you guys have to know that like this is not the, there's no one true Spider-Man. And that's kind of true of almost every major comic book character outside of possibly Superman. Like there are different variants, but even then there have been different versions of Superman. So I just think it's really weird. People get so like gung ho about one portrayal when really the whole point of comic books and these characters is that they've evolved and we can, they've reflected 
different perspectives and different people all throughout their history. So I, yeah, right. so basically what we're all saying is that well go said. see into the Spider-Verse if you right. haven't, because what are Peter you doing? And Peter Parker isn't the main character. It's He's actually like a washed cake. up sad sack and it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Though he definitely needs therapy. <laughs> and it's such a great cast. You've got Chris Pine, you've got uh, Nicolas Cage. Yep. Mahershala Ali. Mahershala. As who's was just cast as Blade, actually. Which I'm and Jake Johnson. So Jake Johnson. Um, John Mulaney. Yep, at Spider Ham. The best. And oh, Haley. Haley Stein. 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 Seinfeld. Stein. No, Stein. Stenfield. <laughs> We're so good at names. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But anyway, great cast, great movie, highly recommend. But a different genre. You know, you can't compare Into the Spider Verse to. Far from home, I would argue, just because you can do so much more in animation. Okay. The next podcast we will be doing, we'll discuss Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, yeah! <laughs> These trailers, there's been a few of them, and every time I see one, I get more and more excited on how batshit crazy these movies look, or yeah. this movie looks. Can I just tell you, I think it's a daily basis now that Malika just sends me videos from The Rock's Instagram. <laughs> just getting hype for, like, 7 o'clock in the morning, guys. She, I think she has a problem. I <laughs> don't follow many celebrities, but I follow The Rock, and his Instagram account's amazing, and he posts these videos from Hobbs and Shaw, and it has gotten me so hype. This movie just does not make any sense. You've got machetes. Yep. You've got black Superman. Yep. You've got... <laughs> I'm black Superman. You've got cars. Wow, that was really bad. Bar- <laughs> no, a motorcycle barreling through a truck. It just... None of it makes sense. I don't even... Gra- you know, physics does not exist in this movie. Logic does not seem to exist in this movie. Which is... I wouldn't have it any other way. Exactly. It seems like... It's amazing. I feel like whoever wrote this movie just went to their you know, eight-year-old son, and they were like, what would be cool? He was like, and then a car jumped through a building, <laughs> and then yeah. the rock hold onto a helicopter and other cars, and then a car goes under another car. Yeah, and then there's a guy on a motorcycle, but then he takes his motorcycle and flips it through a truck, and then, it get, like, what is happening? And then we'll get The Rock, Idris Elba, and... Jason Statham. Jason Statham to yep. star in this film. It just, the casting is incredible, but the plot, I don't even know. I'm just so excited. I cannot wait. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. So, I mean, I think we're going to need to take like several showers between <laughs> watching the film <laughs> and then recording the podcast. But we'll make sure we get that to you as soon as possible because I want it fresh in my mind. I want to have like door to door, leave the theater, record. I want it, I want it to be fresh. I don't want to leave out a single detail because, because you, yeah you the listener you deserve that also every trailer for this movie has revealed more and more about the plot and i wonder what is there left to say what <laughs> what have we not seen and the fact that this film is at least two hours i have to double check the runtime what what have we missed that is in this film that has not been shown to me so i think there's gonna be a lot to talk about until next time hobbs and shaw be ready to tune in it's gonna be a wild one all right thanks for joining us this has been the Unwind Podcast. <laughs> the Unwind Podcast, maybe? The Unwind Mono Nocturno Podcast. Anyone, Wind it up! If anyone has any suggestions for names of the podcast, it is undecided. We so. also need a producer, clearly. <laughs> We're taking maybe applications. <laughs> Shout out. So message any of us on Instagram, because let's be real, the only people who are listening to this are people who know us. So if you have a good idea for a podcast name, Please let us know. All right. Thanks.